and welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by my guys, Chris McCormick and Gene Parenti. Fellas, how are we? We are well, wet. Thank you. It's wet here. I am on the road again. I am in North Carolina at Pinehurst. Beautiful true spec facility, but the weather sucks. And that's that's a great place to play golf. That's very unfortunate, Chris. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm sitting in our facility here, and I'm looking out the window and looking out our our bay door here, and the golf course looks amazing. The uh, the grass is green, and it is raining, and about fifty degrees. So I got that going for me, which is nice. I would just suggest throwing on your rain gear and just going to play. It's fun. Do, do you guys enjoy playing in the rain? I actually kind of do. I'm maybe I'm just a masochist. I don't know. I live in Phoenix. If it's below 70 and not sunny, I don't even bother taking the clubs out of the car. I looked at the forecast this oh week before God. I got on a plane. So soft. Charm and soft. And I, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm softer than baby shit. It's a thing. I, I live in San Diego, and I second you, Chris. I uh, I received for participating in a conference one time a rain gear suit. Me being the wise ass that I am, sent back a thank you, and it was like I'm not sure what I do with this. So I just went, put it on, stood out in the yard, and had my kids squirt me with a hose because that looked about as realistic as I was ever going to get to water and anything golf related. So I hear you. Yeah, there's oh way God. too many nice days in the part of the country that we live in, Gene. I mean, yes. if you go outside and you go, uh, today's just not going to happen, the chances of tomorrow being better and the day after that, the day after that, pretty good. I'll wait. That's what happens so, when you live in Arizona and California. You, you get so used to perfect days that anything that's not perfect, you're like, yeah, I'm just not going so, to have it today. So my, my favorite rain story, I go over and uh, the RNA is a client of mine. So I go over to St. Andrews once a year. I've been going for 15 years, missed last year with COVID. But uh, one year I'm over there and I, get, I always get there a day before and the wind was blowing 50 miles an hour and I was going to go tee it up. And I literally couldn't keep the ball on the tee on the driving range. And I went, I'm going to a pub watching football. So the next morning I wake up. And it's 50 miles an hour, but now it's raining too. And I get in the elevator with these two 20-year-old sticks. You can just tell flat bellies. And they're looking at each other. And they're going, I haven't shot over 90 in five years. You know, and they're just like stunned. And then we get to the lobby and there's like eight guys and they're decked out in this full-on rain gear. And I look at them and I go, you guys aren't really going to go play in that, are you? And they looked at me and they go, yeah, this is our dream Scottish golf vacation. And I said, you might want to just go back up, turn the shower on cold, and rip up $100 bills because I think you'll get more satisfaction than being out there. They didn't find it very funny. But anyways, that's that's as close as I get to rain, observing others in their misery. So, Thankfully, I the one time that. that I did play the old course, it wasn't raining, but it was so windy that the starter told us that nobody was playing that day and that he just suggested kind of calling it good. And of course I was in, I was in high school at the time and kind of probably like these 20 somethings. It's like, hell yeah, I'm going to play. So I went out and played with my dad trying to hit drivers and I didn't have, I didn't have a low, I didn't have a low shot like I needed. And so I was trying to hit drivers into the wind and they were probably going about maybe a hundred yards if that, 
just coming right back yeah. at you. And my dad has a picture of me leaning back into the wind. The wind's holding me up. And there were only a couple of locals on the golf course. And of course, these guys are just hitting it along the ground. And yeah. I probably if I if I if I was, you know, maybe about ten years older, I might have kind of I think they have a, I think they have a point here. Let's just do that. But no, I was so it was so a lot of fun, but it was just absolutely brutal. They uh, wasn't ripping they, up money. They they told me at, at the RNA that they will not uh, call the open due to rain, but they will call it due to wind. And if the mm -hmm. balls will not stay on the on the green, that's why you see it. It's always comical. These guys hit a you know ninety yard shot and they sprint up to the green to mark their ball before the wind starts. I've done that. Across. I think we've probably all done that at, at some point in our in our life to to save ourselves from having to watch the ball roll off the green. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway. All right, before we get into this week's topics, wanted to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by, we got a new sponsor, guys. We got a new sponsor. Very excited about this. We've got- New sponsor. New Love sponsor it. is this Rock is This Form. is the first I'm hearing about it. What, yeah, I know. we got? We, what yeah. we got, Jaywell? Don't worry, we'll get into this. Our new sponsor for this week is Rock Form with their G-Rock. It's the portable wireless golf speaker. Now- I got one of these in the mail thanks to the good folks at Rock Forum. Have have either of you fine gentlemen received one? Gene? That's Gene, just, did, that's you, just, did you see anything? It's just, it's, it's just mean, Chris. Sometimes he's just mean. I don't know why. I don't know what we do, but he's just mean. That's well, all hey, I have you, to say. you know what? Here, so here's the thing. I actually have the speaker with me right now because I've been of testing it out. Of course you do. Do you, you want to hear how great do. the sound quality is on this thing? I got a, I got a good song teed up. Hold on. Hold on. I'm just assuming on, mine is. Oh, what do we? Can you hear that? Can you hear the the wonderful sound coming out of this speaker? I mean, isn't that great? Sound quality is yes. awesome. Does that I, does that remind you of the time you played Augusta and none of it the does. other it members does remind of this me of the time I played Augusta, the the day after Tiger won in 2019. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, absolutely. Is, I mean, is, since is, Tursky's not here anymore, we have to we have to rehash that. I'm assuming the, uh, that mine is in my mailbox at home. When I get there, I'm going to have this beautiful Rockform speaker waiting for me to take out on the golf course and test and enjoy the sound quality that I'm hearing from yours. Yeah. So I, is, I pulled it out is, of the box, and this thing is – it looks like the kind of speaker that you'd expect, like, somebody in the military to be using. This thing is crazy rugged. It's all black. It's waterproof. It's drop resistant. Um, Coach even said that it has some unreal battery life, which is one of the big issues that I've always heard a lot of my buddies talk about with their speakers. Um, this has 24 hours of battery, of battery life. So we're talking, you know, maybe five rounds of golf with a single charge. Again, as you heard, great audio quality. Hopefully you get to hear some of that great audio quality someday. So you have one. Coach has one, and the the other two hosts of this podcast. We're sitting here just just empty handed. I'm I'm a little I'm a little insulted. G, what do what do you think here? I I'm just curious if the name of this week's podcast is "Rub Your Nose in It" because that's what I'm starting to feel like just a wee bit here. So, well, all right, here, you got me, us jealous. We want one. Get us let me, one. Let me, we want let me to show you it. something. This thing also has one of the strongest magnets attached to the back of it. 
I, as you're seeing here, it just picked up my ear pods. Um, so if you're a golfer that likes to play music on the golf course, just slap this to the side of the, of the golf cart and rock. It also has a, a clip on the top if you want to attach to your golf bag if you're like me and like to do a little bit of dew sweeping. But anyway, thank you to the good folks at Rock Forum for the new G-Rock. I'm looking forward to getting it out on the golf course now, especially that the temperatures are starting to rise a little bit. And hopefully you guys get one as well. I'm going to put my thank you letter together when I get back to my hotel, anticipating that mine is in my mailbox when I get home. Yeah. Well, Me if, too. You, if you want to get a Rockform G-Rock portable wireless golf speaker for yourself, you can get 20% off by visiting rockform.com. Just enter FE20 when you check out, and you're going to get that 20% off. And... You know, maybe you have to use that 20% code. I don't know if you're going to be able to get one like me, but there you go. Use <laughs> FE20. I mean, with 20% off, that's, yeah, that's fair. I can, I can afford to, to go ahead and get myself a speaker. If, if I don't fall in the same ranks of, of sponsorship as a Jonathan wall or a coach, I mean, I'll uh, say coach is in a different league than me. He's, he's got everybody on speed dial. I'm just, a, I'm just, the he does. He's the most networked man in the golf business. All right. Well, I think that's good for now. Again, thanks to the good folks at Rock Form for sponsoring the podcast. All right. Had a chance to spend last week when actually came into town. I did get I did get a lot of grief from this from Chris. Thanks to coach. I did come into town to hang out with Tony Finau. And we man, there's a lot of cool content. Let me just say that. I don't I don't wanna don't wanna blow all the surprises just yet. But one of the things that we we're able to do was get a what's in the bag with Tony. Pretty obvious when I'm there that I want to talk about the gear in his bag. And I've got a story coming out today. I guess it's as we're recording, it'll be out on Thursday where I went through six things I noticed while inspecting his clubs. Do, do you guys know much about, about Fino's gear before I get into it? Anything? I, I do not. I mean, I know he's a ping guy, you know, primarily. So Chris, I very little. I haven't had an opportunity to go diving into his bag and and perusing the gear that he plays. I appreciated the head cover. The head cover was amazing. The head, and, and the head I, cover I on the yeah. head cover game is strong. It's very it's strong to quite strong. I I will say that. Well, you know, I would have said that I knew Tony's gear reasonably well before I chatted with him and did the what's in the bag. But there were some things that actually were were new revelations to me. And I just want to go through the six that stood out. The first one, I would say that Tony Fino might have the biggest grips on tour. I mean, they are massive. And this is coming from a guy who's picked up Bubba Watson's golf clubs before. Now, Bubba plays a midsize grip. And he has 12 wraps, tape wraps, underneath the upper hand and 10 underneath the lower. It, it does look like his grip is going to explode at any minute. Tony actually has Bubba beat. Yeah. How does that, how does that relate to Bryson? Well, so Bryson's grips are, are all the, the, the rubber or I guess like the foam material. Yeah, so the jumbo Mac. kind of already, yeah, the jumbo Macs are already like quote, you know, 
I would just say they're they're like they're built up. So you don't need the wraps of right. tape underneath to build the grip up. Whereas a guy like Tony, he plays a mid-sized grip, but then he puts 13 wraps of tape underneath the upper hand and 12 wraps of tape underneath the lower hand. So the reasoning behind that, as he told me, was he likes to eliminate all the taper out of the grip. So if you were to pick up your golf club, it's thicker on the, the top part of the grip and it slowly starts to taper down as it gets down the shaft. That's a standard grip. Tony doesn't like that. He said for him, he likes to have a consistent width. So it's, it's going to be, it basically feels the same throughout. There is no taper. And he said, it's just one of those things where he likes the consistent thickness. And he says, it doesn't feel like his right hand is going to come off the golf club when he releases it. He's been doing it for a while. Um, it's it again it just was amazing to see these giant grips he he has huge mitts it's not a surprise but i mean a total of 25 wraps of tape underneath the mid-sized grip is something that i've never seen before so you know what's interesting about that from a physics standpoint and chris i'd love to hear your opinion on this is you know it's been explained to me that the larger the grip the more you eliminate closure and closure is basically getting handsy and it prevents kind of the snap hook. Chris, in, in your fitting experience, do you see direct correlation in that? Is that a loose correlation? Like, you know, because I, I've, I've only heard about it theoretically. I have not seen it in practice. So that's actually a, a question that we get asked a lot. And <clears throat> Generally speaking, it is completely subjective to the player. So hmm. the reason that I say that is you will have some players that will take a large grip and squeeze it more. You'll have some players that take a small grip and squeeze it more. So studies that have been done have shown that size of grip will basically influence rate of release by one sixty-fourth of a second. So it comes down to player feel and essentially how does that particular grip size influence the release pattern for that particular player swinging it. So it's not, it's not a hard correlation. It's more of a loose correlation as far as, so a player can adapt to it or not be affected by it, I guess is a, kind of a, the thought. I mean, grip size will have some effect, but whether it's an effect of smaller is better or larger is better is subjective essentially to the individual and how it is that they respond to the grip change that we make. Interesting. Well, bottom line, females grips, uh, you know, again, they're, they're massive. They do serve a purpose, but I've never, I've never seen a tour pro with 13 and 12. That's just, it's unheard of. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I would, I'd like to pick that golf club up and swing it just to see what it's like. And I will say that, I, when it comes to grip size, ideally you want to find a grip size that complements the player's hands so that when the player does take their natural grip, they're not searching for surface area that isn't there. So you're paying attention to how much tension and pressure is in a player's hands and then also watching as they start to change direction if that player is re-gripping and it's manipulating the face angle through impact. Just, uh, just out of curiosity, what's his miss? Like, what does he play? Does he play the draw? Does you know, he, you know... he, so he plays a fade, actually. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up, Gene, because 
when he was at Ping the, the day that we were hanging with him, he spent another four hours on the range working with uh, his coach, Boyd Summerhays, and Kenton Oates from Ping. And they were trying to, to figure out – it's really interesting. So Boyd had Ping order a brand-new set of Ping blueprint irons for Tony, and they had the grips on the irons shifted so they're, they're askew. And so when Tony sets it down with the Lampkin logo in the square position, his face is about they – said, they said it was about four degrees open. Wow. Um, and so the here but here's the crazy thing. So through all of this, Boyd started looking at Tony's grips and he's like, "Man, I don't think this is open enough." So he took a blowtorch to the grips and he shifted the grip more open, but now as you'd imagine, that's it's an inexact science when you're doing it by hand. So Ping went through all of Tony's clubs with him and they found that Tony liked the five iron, the way the five iron grip was positioned the best. That's 15 degrees open. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, he already plays, he plays a fade. That's his, that's his stock shot. But Tony said he likes to see more face at a dress. And it's just something he and Boyd have been kind of working on. So you had these grips and Ping then took the, the askew grip put it in a put it in their grip machine and then they squared the grip up so when tony sets it down it looks like the grip's square but the face is open it's i i've not 15, seen i've not 15, seen another pro 15, 15, 15 degrees 15 degrees 15 wow. and five yeah i know it's that's, it is crazy that's crazy yep it is wow yeah so his grips are not only large but they uh they also are attached to irons that are 15 degrees open Throughout the set. Unbelievable. Yep. Next. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. 15 yeah, degrees. 15 degrees. Oh, yeah. That's just, a lot. Just wrap your head around that. All right. Next item in the bag that caught my eye. It's actually not. And this is really disappointing. So Tony has two putters. And I, before I realized which one was which, I pulled the putter that had the Nike Air Jordan 1 off-white putter cover on it thinking like this has got to be tony's gamer like who has a putter cover that looks this good as their backup well what i'd later find out from tony is that is actually the head cover on his backup so he is a company man he's got a ping head cover on his pld answer 2d putter but holy shit this putter cover is unbelievable it looks just like i'm a sneakerhead Closet sneakerhead, I will say, um, but it, closet. It, well, I think you've been think pretty open. I think I think you're out of the closet right now. But yeah, you're you're pretty good. open about that. Okay, okay, yeah, I know. Maybe maybe, maybe I just need to remove the closet part. But I'm a sneakerhead. They they look exactly like the off white Jordans. Uh, it, there, it's a phenomenal head cover. I asked Tony if I could have it. He gave me a, a pretty weird look, and I kind of figured that was that. That was pretty much f off. I think was was what he was trying to tell me. Um, but he next, said it with all due respect. He with with yeah exactly yeah he he prefaced <laughs> it with with all due respect. With all due respect. Yeah yeah. The the other item I've actually written about this a little bit. So Tony's uh, PLD answer two D putter, which is it's a, basically a wide body answer to. So he was doing some work with Ping 
And Tony had mentioned to me that he, he typically gets his hands a little bit low at times when he's setting up the putter at a dress. So one of the things that he did with Ping to kind of help get him in a consistent address position was uh, he had Kent Notes draw an arrow. And I've got a photo of it up on golf.com. An arrow with silver Sharpie on the back part of the heel. And then in the little notch there on the top line, kind of right next to the neck, he drew a silver line. And again, his backup putter now actually has a milled line in that little recessed notch. But Tony's sticking with the gamer because he, you know, basically about a month after he put that putter in play, he wins the Northern Trust with it. And Tony's reasoning behind having the arrow in the line was the arrow for him, if the arrow is pointing a little bit too much towards his uh, right or left foot, then he knows the putter face is probably a little bit too open or closed. It sounds really simple, but again, sometimes you don't need to do crazy things to your putter to get you in a good setup position. And the white line, it's to help make sure that his hands, if he can see the line, he's in a good position with his hands. If that line starts to disappear a little bit, then he knows that the putter is maybe a little bit, his hands are a little bit too high or too low. So Simple stuff. It's things that even a recreational golfer could do their putter if they don't mind, you know, marking all over it. But again, Tony Finau is a pro. He can get putters whenever he wants. We, the average golfer, cannot. Unless you're Jonathan Wall and you're just sponsored Let's by go everybody. On, on, to the, on to the next topic. All right. Hey, uh, I, I wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I just want to make note that the that PLD is definitely gaining some traction. I mean, we're seeing and hearing more and more about that that PLD as it's uh, kind of gaining some traction here. There's a lot of guys that are putting it in play and a lot of guys that are at least testing it. It's a yeah. really, really good, solid product. So this is this is the, the tour launch for PLD, and I, I do want to discuss it a little bit because I had a chance to go through a putter fitting at, at, at Ping headquarters. And, um, yeah, I would agree with Chris, those PLD putters, Victor Hovland's using one, Bubba Watson is using one. Um, there are even a, a, I would say a, a good percentage. I talked to them. I think they were saying like 60% of their guys were using a PLD version now. And I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, it's completely customized. You, they can do anything and everything with those putters. And, and we'll discuss a little bit more about that, but I agree, Chris, I I'm seeing more traction as well on tour. And, and I think based on the initial reaction from golfers now that they know that the PLD program is live and that they can actually order a putter like this. I think this program is going to, going to do gangbusters. All right. Next on the list, Tony Finau is one of two guys on tour who's still using a Nike vapor fly pro three iron. You know, you know, I just love the old Nike equipment and We'll talk about Scotty Scheffler here in a minute, but Finau has has the Vaporfly Pro. He and Brooks Kepka are the two guys out on tour that still use it. It's a hollow body long iron. And I asked Tony about like where does he stand on backups? Because I had I had asked Brooks about that recently. And he said that he's actually on one of his two backups. He just switched the original version that he had lasted him six years which is pretty good, I would think, for for a long iron that's being hit consistently out on tour. So Tony said that, he, he's, he said, look, I'm not, I'm not a math guy, but 
if the last one lasted me six years and this one lasts me six years and he has one more backup that lasts him another six years, he says, I'll be about 50 years old by that time when I'm done using both of the backups. So, you know, just about the time that he's getting ready to start contemplating Champions Tour golf, he might need to get a different long iron, but God, I love it. I love that the Nike clubs are still hanging around, even though Nike hasn't produced the golf club since 2016. I mean, there's obviously some loyalists out there. What would you say, Jay Wall, is the, I mean, what's the definitive reason that that club just does not come out of the bag? What did he say about it? He just I mean, said what was it, it about it that he likes so much? I, I, he just said that for, for as long as he's used it, it's just, it's tough. Like the flight's always been really consistent. Spin numbers have been good. He never really feels like there's like a gotcha miss with that golf club. So the, you know, even though it's hollow body, there's he doesn't really feel like there's a hot spot on the face where he's gonna he's gonna get any sort of jumper. But again, it's it's one of those golf clubs he doesn't use a ton. I mean, he's using it maybe trying to attack a long par five. Maybe he uses it off the tee on a you know on a par four where it's tight and he needs to hit the fairway. So it's not a club that he has to use a ton. And I just think that the fact that he's still he's still a Nike guy. I I do wonder if he wasn't a Nike staffer for apparel, would he still have the club in the bag? Great question. Yeah. And who's well, the same I mean, thing about other Brooks. individual? With Brooksy? Brooks? Well, yep. I, do, I do. I wonder the same thing. I mean, they're both, they're both Nike apparel yeah, but, guys. But the, there's, there's no upside to Nike for it. You know, if anything, if anything, you can almost say there's a downside like it's, you know, kind of embarrassing that, you know, if these clubs were that good, why did they get out of the business type thing? You it know, has a cult so following. I think that's I what that's Nike probably loves. I think Nike loves the fact that it has a cult following. I do. I agree with you, Gene, maybe, because maybe. it can't, it's like you, I mean, you could go buy one on eBay, but it is, it is difficult to get your hands on them now because they aren't readily available. You can't go pick one up at your local golf store. So I, I, I can see well, that, but I do think that the, the cult following, I think Nike, you know how they are about that stuff with their shoes and, and kind of the, how, how they drop specific shoes at, spe- at specific times. I could totally see them being like, yeah, we're, we're all in. We're not going to talk about it, but we do love that this club is still hanging around. Well, you know, the interesting thing, Nike, so Nike was one of my first clients when I started out with golf balls and i watched their whole evolution and when they started out they were they were pretty green when it came to golf but by the end they they were a well-oiled machine but what was amazing was the competitors in the marketplace were so incredibly successful at portraying nike as a department store brand and that they just put a swoosh on everything. And that message stuck with the consumers. And I do believe that's why Nike Golf and equipment did not succeed, is that the competitors really branded them. But from a testing perspective, and especially the golf ball at the end, the golf ball really, really was coming along. But they made great golf clubs. They just never got the... Um, the market share and i think it was because their competitors especially you know everything involves this pyramid of influence and especially amongst the top of the pyramid the better players the mini tour players etc you know their clubs were considered not you know subpar in comparison and um they just never were able to shed that 
that impression. I would agree with that. And then you also have, they had a, uh, they had a different approach as far as their, their design characteristics. I mean, a lot of bold colors, a lot of very yes. unique, untraditional shapes. And I mean, they were almost ahead of their time when it came to just some of the engineering that was implemented into some of their club designs. I mean, like you look at some of the vapor clubs, you look at some of the like covert line that had that deep undercut cavity in the driver and extreme perimeter weighting. I mean, there was a lot of things that were incorporated into those particular woods and even some of the irons that now it would be a little easier to accept because a lot of the companies are doing that with multi-material construction and uh, just various things that are kind of outside of what we would consider normal club design. Yeah. No, I, and that's, totally and that's agree. a fair, that's, that's a fair point. And I remember one of the designers telling me one time I asked about it and he goes, Hey man, we're Nike. We got to go with yellow. He goes, we can't just make a head black. I mean, you know, so they, they understood as well kind of their place in the marketplace. But you know, what I thought was kind of truly ironic was they did everything right. They got, you know, the premier number one player in the world, but then they had a stable of tour players that were all solid you know, they, they went green grass. They started with youth to get youth into the clubs. Like they, and they had this machine built for the long haul to be a major equipment competitor. Um, and obviously they were the 800 pound gorilla from a marketing standpoint and an advertising standpoint, but they were never able to get traction. It was just a, it was a fascinating case study to watch because I knew from my perspective, the stuff worked just as well, if not better than, you know, the top OEMs at the time. Um, they had the tour, but they just couldn't get break that, you know, pyramid of influence to really start, you know, maximizing their sales opportunities. All right. we, we could probably do an entire Nike podcast, I think. And maybe at some point we do a, a debrief on everything that happened from when Nike started. I think people, I mean, I'll just go based off of my my DMs on social media. People still love to talk about Nike equipment. I probably yeah. at least once a month, I get a DM from somebody and they've picked up a brand new set of VR Pro Blades or they have some Nike method putter that they think might've been a Rory backup and they wanna try and get somebody to confirm it. it seriously, once a month, I get somebody asking about Nike equipment without fail. So maybe we do a Nike episode at one point. I have been, oh man, I don't, I was gonna like make it a surprise, but I'm I'm working on getting Mike T on the pod and, and maybe we could have Mike Taylor, meaning Mike T, who's, I mean, he's up, he's up there as, as one of the greatest, you know, club builders ever. And, uh, he's, he's got hands of gold, but I would love to get him on the podcast just to get his take on, on everything that happened at Nike. He and I have talked a lot about his work with tiger over the years, but maybe just get him to talk more about his time at Nike and what that was like. He's, he's discussed a little bit about the end, the end of days right before Nike went out of business. But anyway, the other two items on, uh, that stood out for fee. Now he has the glide 4.0 wedges, which we haven't heard a whole lot about from ping. Although I know a lot of their staffers have them. Tony told me that the transition to 4.0 is pretty seamless. He uses just a standard grind 
in the 50 and 56. Nothing tricked out. He doesn't do any modifications to the sole. And he just said for him, it was just a little bit lower launch with more spin. And he said, look, as a tour guy, that's what you want. That's what I'm looking for with my wedges, being able to flight it. So that was one of the, the other items that stood out. And then the last one. Now, Chris, this is an interesting one because we typically think of tour pros, especially guys of Tony stature who are, you know, big ball speed, can swing it. They, they want low spin. And Finau uses a Ping G425 LST driver, which is Ping's low spin model. He, he has it at nine degrees, but he has the loft sleeve in the big minus setting, which means that he essentially has an actual loft of seven degrees. But when I asked Tony just casually, hey, like what, what kind of spin numbers are you typically trying to get with your driver? He told me something that I thought was really interesting. He said, I'm actually looking for mid 2000s with spin. I think a lot of guys would say low 2000s, but I like living a little higher with the spin because I know if it goes offline, it's going less offline with more spin. So for him, he likes to be around 2400 to 2600 with the spin. Does that surprise you for a guy that's as fast as he is? No, I mean, it, it's not surprising really when you think about what it is that he's trying to do. So if he's working the golf ball and trying to create different launch windows and shot shapes, a little bit more spin makes it easier for him to do that. And then to your point, I mean, if he does happen to miss and the start line is offline from where he wants it, it doesn't have a tendency to want to curve as much offline. So spin keeps the ball in play, spin keeps the ball in the air. And I, I keep trying to get this message across to a lot of our guys is spin is your friend and everybody's cut spin, cut spin, cut spin. And then you get into my boat where you just don't have enough of it. And that's just as bad. Yeah. I, I'm in total agreement there. So, all right. Well, those are the items again that stood out when I took a look at Finau's bag. Next item. This is a tough one for me, boys. Scotty Scheffler is no longer an equipment-free agent. So Scotty was announced as the newest member of TaylorMade's tour staff, which I think surprised some people. Now, Scotty's been playing some unbelievable golf. He's won two times in his last in his last three starts. And he signs with TaylorMade and everybody was panicking. And I wrote a story about it and they're like, man, what's he gonna do with his entire bag setup? Well, the great thing for Scotty is he's getting paid now and he doesn't have to do much to his golf bag. Now I say much because he already has a TaylorMade Stealth Plus driver. He's already using the TaylorMade P7TW, those Tiger Woods designed irons. So he's got, he's got like a large majority of his setup is TaylorMade gear. And he's gonna keep the Vokey wedges that he was using. He's gonna keep the Scotty Cameron putter and the Pro V1 golf ball. So a lot of the like variables that you're a little bit like, eh, I don't know if you really wanna be changing those right now when you're playing good golf. He doesn't have to change anything except for one golf club. Uh, well, yeah, one <laughs> golf club. Uh-huh, yep, everybody, I know, the smiles. That would be the Nike VR Pro Limited 3-Wood. One of my favorite golf clubs out on tour. I actually heard from a couple of uh, couple of people on social media. They wanted to know my thoughts on him losing that golf club. So part of the agreement is that Scotty will play driver, irons, and fairway wood, which means that I would say the VR Pro Limited is living on borrowed time right now, which we're going to have to pour one out. We did one for Harris English's 
ping palm lock putter grip. So I think we're going to have to eventually, when this becomes official, pour one out for the VR Pro Limited 3-Wood. I am torn up. That's understandable. I mean, the hardest, hardest clubs to get out of a player's bag when you are working with a good player that's comfortable with their set is putter and fairway wood. So to to get that fairway wood out of his bag when it has been there for so long, I mean, there better be a lot of improvement or something that gives him equal to or better consistency. Because otherwise, there's not going to be that comfortability. There's not going to be that trust factor that he's got with the VR. So I'm, I'm curious to see what he ends up landing on and how close they're able to get it to what he's already acclimated to seeing. Yeah, and well, I think they're the, going to take their time for sure with that club. I agree with Chris. I, I even talked to Tony Fino about that. He has a G400 stretch three win in the bag, which is, you know, that's that's certainly not one of Ping's newest versions, but he said the same thing. Furrywood's so tough to get out. But, you know, on the, on the upside, you know, when the VR Pro was developed versus now, these designers have so much more versatility in being able to – really dial in kind of a launch and spin window and you know I, I don't i don't know a tremendous amount about his game but you know if he needs more distance that's there if you know so i i i feel confident with the arsenal that the that taylor made has that they're going to be able to get him in something that either will get close or more than likely will have some performance characteristics advantages that should surpass you know, what, what he was playing. But then again, those are famous last words because I'm not Scotty and I'm not the one teeing it up. So. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see kudos to his agent though. I mean, Scotty's getting guaranteed money now and he doesn't really have to change much, much if at all of his, of his setup. So I think, I think it's a great piece of business for him. And again, guaranteed money. He's playing his best golf of his career and he doesn't have to skip a beat this week. He shows up to TPC Sawgrass with the same setup, just with a different staff bag. And I saw he's got tailor-made head covers now on all of his woods. So anyway, there's there's the Scotty news. Um, Gene and I had a chance to chat on the phone this week, and he brought up something interesting. You know, I think both of you watched Bay Hill last week, and it was carnage. It felt like a U.S. Open setup. There were some hilarious comments that were being thrown out there. Rory McIlroy said it's like crazy golf, which I would say it did feel crazy at times looking at some of those scores. But, you know, Gene, you you brought up an interesting point about this in, in the difficulty. You know, tour pros complain when the golf courses are really tough and the fans just embrace the hell out of it. And when the golf courses are really easy, you don't hear a peep out of the pros, but then all the fans are lamenting that it feels like video game golf. Let me, I want you to, to offer up your insights on what you thought watching the carnage from Bay Hill. Well, so to back up a little bit, you know, obviously been hearing a lot from the RNA and the USGA and Tiger and Jack over the years of rolling back the ball. And Jonathan, you and I did a, a test of what a pro V one would look like with more spin, which was basically a tour ballada. And, you know, you're dropping 25, 30 yards of, um, of distance, 
you know, by increasing the spin. So I, I've been curious about this, but to be perfectly frank, you know, I, I look at the PGA as an entertainment arm and, you know, their main contracts are television and people tune into television to see long drives and um, sticking pins. And so I had the opportunity to, to walk on the West Coast swing. I was, I got to see Tori, I got to see Pebble and I got to see Riviera and I can just tell you there was very minimal rough at all three of those. And I know there's almost no rough at the Amex in the desert. And I know there's no rough at Phoenix. So these courses are set up and sure enough, somewhere between 20 and 25 under, you know, just rough ballpark was kind of winning these tournaments. The only tournament that there was rough was Tory, which was interesting enough. And that's that. And they seem to do just kind of a, a perfect job of balancing the rough and not making it too penal. But my, my whole thing from a distance debate is it should be simple. It should be a risk reward at about 300 yards or 320 yards. You grow the rough out and you grow the rough out. It means that you're going to be hacking it. If you want to hit it far, Bay Hill did that Honda did it. And interestingly enough, those are some of the lowest rated television viewership so i know that from purest standpoint we like to see these guys hack but from an entertainment standpoint i don't think it behooves the pga or the players that you know plus two other than the open and the u.s open win or, or is the cut line and I, I i'm you know having walked these courses you can see that the pga sets these courses up in order for scores to go low. And when they don't, you start hearing murmurings like at the Honda and Bay Hill that these guys aren't going to come back because they don't want to get their brains beat now. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's setting up an interesting future kind of conundrum for the PGA. They've always, like, marched lockstep with the USJ and the RNA from a rules standpoint. But if they roll the ball back 20, 30 yards – are they going to follow or are they just going to bifurcate and have their own rules? The most interesting part about that is the TV numbers. You know, you yes. hear a lot of people talking about it. Now, maybe it's just because we, we live in a vacuum here and we hear from a lot of the talking heads in golf and from a lot of the same folks on social media. In my case, they're all the ones that are, that are, you know, trumpeting rollbacks and and making the golf courses more difficult and and making the scores closer to par or above par but i mean if the tv numbers aren't there i mean that's a big part of it at the end of the day whether people want to admit it or not if you're not getting the viewership numbers that's a problem yeah yeah people people want to see Look at reality television. Look at everything. People tune in to see something different than what they, you know. I, my argument is always at the majors, and you can't make this about the Masters anymore or even the PGA, and sometimes not even the Open if, you know, they haven't set the course up correctly. But usually at the U.S. Open, that's the one course where par or one or two under par should win, you know, the tournament. And people like seeing these pros humbled once or twice a year, but I just don't buy that they want to see them every week. I think maybe the hardcores do, 
but not the casual audience that that really drives the broadcast. They want to see something exceptional, something that they can't do. They don't want to see four over win because suddenly that starts feeling like their golf game on you know their best day type thing. So, yeah. anyways, I that, agree with just, that. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent, Gene. It's people love the hero shot. People love yeah. to see these pros pull off shots that you know they're never going to be able to see in their own game. I mean, the highlight right. reel shots are what a lot of us really live for is <clears throat> watching somebody make a, I mean, a ridiculous up and down, watching somebody hole out from fairway, watching yep. the, you know, the double eagle happen. I mean, all of those things are just what drives people to, to really enjoy watching tournament golf on TV. And to echo your point, uh, watching somebody shoot, uh, 78 to, to 80 something in a, a difficult setup is just not as entertaining because the player gets frustrated. They're not having fun. They're not living for that highlight reel moment anymore. It's a grind. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It reminds me, I was walking with Bryson at the U S open on, uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday during the practice round. He was playing with Jordan speed and Jordan put one ball in the rough you know, halfway down par four, I think it was nine or 10 at Torrey. And I watched him top three hybrids in a row out of the rough. I mean, he just, the rough was so thick. He, he got the ball like, and it looked like something that I would do. Right. And by the third shot, Bryson's like, dude, don't hurt yourself, you know? And, and, and he, but you know, you don't want to see Jordan speed top a ball out of the rough. I mean, it's wild to see in person once you see it twice and you're like, he's Luis, you know, but that's, that's the reality. If you, if you, you know, make a difficult golf courses, it, you're going to see a different side to these guys. And you might want to tune in once a year for that side, but you're not going to want to tune in weekly that, you know, yeah, we there's, there's, there's definitely a fine line between, you know, difficult, and, and when they let some of these golf courses get beyond the brink and it's difficult to bring them back. I mean, we saw that years ago at Shinnecock and, you know, mostly it's happened at U.S. Opens over the years. Uh, it happened at Jack's place right before he did the major course renovation. The golf yep. course was so difficult, but he didn't care because they were going to be bulldozing the whole place anyway right after the final putt dropped on Sunday. But, yeah, there is. I think there is certainly a fine line between – competitive golf that's fun to watch and when it just gets to be so difficult that it's like what's the point what is what, what are you trying to prove at this point so anyway all right so this is players championship week there is gear news going on as you would expect from the tours flagship tournament a couple of things that have stood out adam scott you know, Adam Scott is now a free agent. He severed ties with Titleist for the full bag deal, meaning clubs, apparel, golf ball. Uh, he's still shoes and ball, but he's been tinkering a little bit with the golf clubs. We've seen him with a couple of different putters in the bag. And now word has gotten out that he is, at least from my sources on the ground at TPC Sawgrass, he's testing a stealth driver, tailor-made stealth driver, and stealth fairway woods. So, he's not afraid to tinker. I mean, I give him that. He's he, not uh, afraid to tinker, but you know, he's been a Titleist lifer, and just to see him with anything other than a than you know, most recently a TSI driver in the bag, it just 
I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's Wednesday as we're recording. You all know nothing is official until balls in play on Thursday, but the fact that he is testing driver in fairways is, is pretty interesting. Let's just put it that way. So with a driver um, change, do we see Autoflex make a return with a new head? Now that's, that's I mean, does he stay in the question. same stay in the same shaft? Or now that we have a new head with a new flight characteristic, do we see maybe go back to the Autoflex? Maybe I'll, I'll go to back see, to Autoflex? Yeah, I'll have to see if see what's going on there. I mean, Adam Scott's been doing some weird stuff. I mean, last week at Bay Hill, he played the first round with just a 13 and a half degree Titleist TSI 23 wood as the longest club in his bag. And that was just a one, a one day thing, but he shot 68 and then the golf course got crazy at Bay Hill after that. And he put the driver back in the bag, but yeah, he is, he is doing some, some searching right now. It feels like for, for his gear. The other one that stood out was John Rahm. As I pointed out last week, John had, shelved his odyssey white hot rossi s putter for a white hot og number seven and that was short-lived it seems like because i i have it that he is going back to the rossi s which is the putter that he used to win the us open not a big surprise he actually he putted really well with that thing i think he was just going through a little bit of a rough stretch and maybe it just needed the timeout closet chris that's it i mean it does wonders and that uh, that Rossi S is such a good shape. I mean, we uh, we have had a lot of success with it at uh, at TrueSpec, so no surprise that he's kind of made that transition back into that putter. It's I mean it's just a solid shape, good feel, good balance. Yeah, it is. It's a great putter, and and a couple of people reached out to me and they when they heard that he was switching, and they said this is you know it's ludicrous. I can't believe he's changing putters. It's such a great putter. Looks amazing. He putted well with it. It's just a rough patch. He needs to stick it out. And I'm thinking, man, you're not even the guy who's putting with this thing. And there, there, there are some that are championing for the Rossi S. Anyway, looks like it's back in the bag. All right. Well, we had a couple other things I wanted to get to this week, but I think we'll table them for next week's podcast and get into this week's interview. I had the opportunity to chat with Tony Serrano. Tony is a putter designer for ping but in addition to that he spends a lot of time out on tour helping design putters for some of the best players in the world victor hovland and tony finau included tony goes through the brand new pld program how it came to be why it's coming to retail and some of his work with the guys that i just mentioned maybe a couple of fun stories about this leaderboard that they have in the ping putting lab and how competitive guys get when it comes to the numbers up on that board enjoy the interview all right, before we get to Tony, I wanted to let you know that this episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, George Gankus's training aid, the G-Box. The G-Box is the absolute best training aid to help you make a full and complete body turn. To accomplish the complete turn, both beginners and professionals can utilize the G-Box in such a way as to not only promote the correct depth of backswing, but also the proper width of the arms throughout the swing. The G-Box is not only easy to use, but provides the same immediate feedback from specific drills that George Gankus provides to all his players during their lessons. Simply said, the G-Box is the most versatile training aid in golf today for perfecting both your backswing and downswing drills. To pick up your G-Box, simply head over to golf.com's pro shop and use promo code fully equipped for 10% off. That's promo code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, 
at the golf.com pro shop. Well, I don't like to play favorites out on tour, but my next guest is, is one of my favorite guys to talk to when it comes to gear. Tony Serrano, senior design engineer at Ping. What's going on? Uh, lots, lots of stuff going on. I know. So, okay. You, you say lots of stuff and, and I want to like point this out first. So you are a senior design engineer for Ping. So yes. you're, you're designing putters Correct. for Ping, but you, I've seen a lot of you out on tour. Was was that something that's been more recent for you, kind of getting getting out on tour more and, and being out there with with the pros? Yes, it is. <clears throat> Probably it's been about five years now when we first started. I first started going out on tour, and the goal was to just to make sure that our players are getting the product that they need to help them win. So, um, going out, working with our players, talking to our players, understanding what they look for, what they need. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't know what they need, so we can help with getting a, a product or a putter in their hand again to, to fit their stroke to, and to help them putt better and to win. So getting feedback from those guys, explaining why we design putters the way we do, what our design philosophies are, at Ping, and explaining that to the guys so they understand why we do stuff and why it's done a certain way so it helps helps me design a better product right. for them. Yeah. So you, you talk about the feedback that you get from those tour pros and it goes into designing future putters, um, putters that a lot of golfers haven't seen and some that have started to surface here in the last year or so with, with PLD. Mm-hmm. So for those listening, you've probably seen Victor Hovland's putter. It's DS, DS 72 PLD, uh, Bubba Watson's had some very custom putters. And you know, one of the thing we as gearheads always complain about is, why can't I have the putter? Why can't I have Victor Hovland's putter? Why can't I have the Bubba Watson putter? And it's always been, I mean, for, it's not just for ping, but it's for every manufacturer. It's like, look, these, these are the best players in the world, get a tour card and then we can talk. Um, but you guys are doing something new with a program that I think is, is me personally, I I think is going to completely revolutionize the industry. You are now giving regular golfers the opportunity to get a completely custom PLD putter you could get the same head shape as, as Victor Hovland. You can get different alignment aids, um, stamping. I mean, it's, it's literally the whole shebang and you're doing it through this, through this custom program. Um, kind of talk to me a little bit about PLD side of the, the beginnings of it and, and kind of why it's important to now bring this like massive customization to the public. Yeah. So <clears throat> what I was mentioned here, when we first went out five years ago, the goal was again, to work with our players, get their feedback, but also give me an opportunity to talk to them about um, some of the different things we want to do, how we want to grow this program, and make sure our players, um, by the way, are super open and encouraging and, and really easy to work with. It's um, nice to have a bunch of guys nice. like that who, yeah. who offer detailed feedback Correct. because I've, I've seen other guys go through testing with product yeah. and some guys aren't very vocal. Yeah. Um, or they just don't offer a lot of good feedback. Right. And the more the more I went out, the more I see these guys, the more they saw me out there, then I think they became more comfortable asking questions. And, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And a lot of times we found that maybe there was a product that a game, guy may be asking for that we didn't quite have yet, which helps me to design that product. So it helps fill maybe a hole in our lineup that we don't have that helps fill his needs. Um, I will say a lot of times, sometimes we'll work with a player, we'll design something for them and you take it out to them and they see it. And it could be, sometimes it's like, that's not what I thought it was going to be. I'm mm-hmm. not, 
they're not really interested anymore. But there's other players that seems like that's what I've been looking for. Right. So it, no matter what, who we're working, what we're working on, we know we're learning something, and that it may not work out great for this guy. It may not end up in his bag, but Rob's going to get input from someone else. Yeah. So a lot of these these new head shapes through the custom program are are tour proven. Uh, what's called tour proven head shapes right. that that we've already seen. There's you know the prime time, which is the Cameron Champ putter. Right. DS72, Victor Hovland. I mean, you can still get your, your answers. How many different head shapes are, are part of this custom program? So right now we have 16 models that uh, that we offer in our custom program. Okay. I mean, that's that's a lot. And it's not just head shapes, but you can even go with milling. Mill, yes. We uh, we start with the material. We start with a stainless steel or a carbon steel. Because, again, feedback from tour players. There's some guys that will putt with a carbon steel putter. Mm-hmm. Or an answer, or a stainless steel, and they can tell the difference. Like the carbon steel, maybe has a little different pitch, a little different sound, a little different feel that they prefer. And there's other guys that like the stainless steel that has a little bit more feedback, a little harder. So we start at the material, and then from there, in combination with the material and different face uh, patterns that we mill on them, and the depth of that, it it works to like what sounds best to them, what feels best to them, and what how the ball is rolling off the face for them. So. Um, we try to use all the different combinations of materials, different milling uh, patterns and depths to get what that player feels is best for them. What percentage of guys are using like carbon versus stainless for, like on the tour level? It's a great question. Um, we have never really done carbon steel, a lot of carbon steel here. And as we've started doing that, um, I, I feel like more players are going towards the carbon steel direction there. Yeah, it's. I have to say, it, it is kind of cool. I I, w- I went through the whole process here in the in the ping putting lab, and it's it's neat to be able to like look at these putters and realize that you can get a carbon steel putter and that it's going to rust just like Victor Hovland's. And uh, you know, it, you can get the same patina finish. You know, we we were even. I mean, at the end, I was being asked about what kind of stamping I wanted, where I wanted it on the sole, uh, on the toe. Did I want, you know, sight dot lines. Yep. You can even do the lines like, like Victor has with the one line on the top line and one in the flange that I know he went to more recently. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing as, as a gearhead yeah. being able to have that many options and actually be able to do it here at, at ping HQ. I know not everybody's going to be right. able to do it at ping HQ, but you can also do, do it from your, from your home right. as well. And that's the one thing like when, when people come in here or, or consumers and we do some work with them the one thing that we're pretty comfortable saying is whatever you add to that whatever colors you want whatever lines it's basically one of a kind right you're the only one that has that putter it's 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 totally customized and personalized for you yeah so in addition to to all the the custom offerings if you wanted to to do a fully customized putter there's also a a milled line that's going to be a little a little bit different price point as well Correct. and that'll that'll be a retail line correct okay yeah. and how many models come in in the the milled the milled version line. we have uh, four models we have answer answer two a ds72 and a prime time four okay and what's the, what's like the head material on those for those those are, those are all stainless steel okay yeah. yeah so of course a little bit different price point when you when you go to the custom but i have to say the being able to go through it it's so worth the money to be able to i, I mean I, I felt like a tour pro going through it just because, I mean, you're, you're here rolling putts on the same green as, you know, when Victor Hovland comes through, when Bubba's here, 
um, you know, Tyrrell Hatton, all these guys are, are going through here. Now, I see a leaderboard yeah. up here on the wall. Yep. And it's it's got it's got your your ping your putting handicap. Yep. So for those that have that have gone through with the ping app before, you've got the cradle. You snap the cradle to to the shaft of your putter. You roll five putts, and then based on a bunch of metrics, we're seeing them up here. You got closing angle, impact angle, tempo, lie angle, shaft lean. It gives you a handicap rating. Now there's some names up there that I'm very familiar with, yep. but you were telling me that some of these guys are really competitive. Yep. Yep. When it yeah. comes to like yeah. getting their name on that leaderboard, I was the story I was telling you earlier when uh, Terrell Hatton was in here and explained to him like what we're doing and what the leaderboard was about, and he he was busy, he had a lot going on, but he just kept putting and putting, and he's just like you could see the competitive juices just turn on. Like he wanted to get on that board, not just on the board, he wanted to be on top. Yeah, and he stayed here for a while, and I think if he would have had more time, he probably would have stayed all day till he got it. <laughs> But yeah, those the guys come in and once once there's something to shoot for and they're trying to get on the board or they get a number that is not on the board, they want another shot at it for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is it's so funny to see the guys that are hyper competitive like that and then somebody like Victor who He's, I yeah, I asked him in Stillwater when when I saw him I'm like, "Hey, what do you think about being top of top of the leaderboard there in the in the putting lab?" And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and was like, "Yeah, it's cool." <laughs> he was in here two days ago and he saw he had dropped a little bit and he's like what he's like how? <laughs> oh so he just how does played, that happen? he plays he's, he plays the, the nonchalant yeah. we're, no we're, yeah. he kind of he kind of makes you think that he really doesn't care that no, much but, I, he, but he definitely yeah, he does. does okay so you you mentioned bubba and one of the yeah. things we we had a chance to go back where, where the putters are being milled yes and i saw some putters in there that are that are a combination of putters and this is what i think is so cool about pld is that you can create pretty much any putter that 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 these guys want. I mean, if they want certain neck or to blend different shapes, you have the ability to do that. Correct. Yeah, I think we showed you uh, the DZB back there, which was a, a combination of a, a putter we've done in the past, the D66 and a ZB putter. So right. um, working with different players, there's certain people that would bring up a D66 or a ZB and can you do this? Can you mix the two or bring? So that's kind of what that putter was I was showing you. Yeah. And I, I told you a story with Bubba, how um, Bubba has won two majors, obviously with an answer putter, has won multiple times with an answer putter. And then working with him on a new putter, he, he actually went to a DS72 because he liked the size, the shape, and the weight, but it didn't really work out for him. Um, so we basically worked with him and kind of met halfway with it's a, uh, a new model we're working on called the answer D and it's just a deeper version of an answer. So he could see that he's very familiar with looking down at an answer putter, but he liked the width and the, and the headway of this new one. So he, he had a lot to do with that design and, and bringing it uh, to fruition. And then also he's been playing with it now. So. so is that an option that you could get if you wanted to? Uh, right now we're not quite there yet, but we're okay. getting ready to start milling that head in our shop. Okay. Yeah. I thought I it's saw coming. some, thought I saw some lefties yeah. in there and being, being a, being a fellow lefty, it's very exactly. often, it's very, very, very seldom do you go into a, to a milling area yeah. and, and see lefty putters in, in like quantities right. like that. We want to, we want to offer, offer it all. Yeah. yeah. So of the guys that, that you've worked with, who is like the most detail oriented when it comes to their putter? Who's, who kind of like keeps you the busiest? You know, uh, 
Bubba's pretty particular about what he likes and that you know he likes a certain milling pattern on his face and he likes a certain depth um, he likes the milling lines like the way we we space out the milling lines on the face gives him a feel and a sound that he likes and he's really particular about that um, he's also very particular about how the putter sets um, he's very particular about his grip he, and, and the radiuses and how they're polished or ground off um, and how they set but he He's pretty detailed on his putters and what they look like, how they set. And again, the input he had on certain radiuses and how certain surfaces blend together. Mm -hmm. So you get some shadowing and some um, subtle alignment features right. that he likes to see. So he's he's pretty particular about what he likes. Um, Terrell Hatton's another guy that's really, he really gets into the design and is is very good about communicating what he wants and where he wants it and how he wants it to sit. Yeah. Um, we've learned a lot working with him is there's a certain offset of a shaft he likes to see. There's a certain height of a face he likes to see. Um, the grooves and the depth of the grooves and the material all come into play with him and what it sounds like, what the ball speed is coming out the face. So the, a lot of little details that uh, he's looking for. Most of our guys are, are pretty into it, but... Um, there's a couple guys that are really detailed about what they want to see. So when when you're dealing with a guy like that who's hypersensitive to to you know the feel and the the sound and and all that with the grooves, I mean, how many iterations are you having to go through with like for instance Bubba? Yep. Like how how long was that process before you got it just right where he's like, yeah, this is this is perfect, and yep. I, I want to kind of continue to test this and maybe put it in play. Yeah, Bubba, we went. Probably where he ended up today with our design was two or three iterations. Okay. Um, Hatton, um, we're probably on a fifth iteration right now, but we're continuing to work with him. Um, and a lot of times we get to a point with a design where, hey, we're pretty comfortable with this. We've got a lot of really good feedback on it. Um, we may come out with that putter, but continue to work with the player to get to continue to improve. Yeah. So what about you as far as PLD? I mean, we're, I'm sure you've, you've gone through the process with your putter. Like, where, where are you with, with your gamer right now? I'm going to an answer to. Okay. Smooth face, 350 grams. So we're, we're pretty much we're finished in the same boat here. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's, what I, that's what I ended up with. It's, it's tough to get, to get away with that. I mean, it's, it's such a classic yeah. design. Yeah. And now are you, are, what finish are you going with on yours? I went with the, uh, the satin finish. Okay. So there's a little, little bit of difference there. Yeah. You know, for, for golfers out there that, that, cause what's, what's the pro or the uh, price for, if you wanted to go through the, the custom program and do it, the you whole, know, yeah, like the whole thing. The custom program. Yeah. Um, I believe it's about $1,500. Yeah. So for golfers out there that are maybe on the fence, like if you were trying to tell them like the benefits of, of doing and going through this whole process, yeah. what, what would, what would kind of your, your pitch be to them? I would think our fitting, the fitting process is really important where um, you you just went through it. If, if a guy's out there and he's playing a face balance putter because he likes the way it looks and the way it sets or the way he putts with it, he may come in here and do a fitting and say, well, you should be in a putter that's, that's toe down, right? So it's until you do that fitting, you understand, you see the matrix and all the different consistency scores. It's easy for a guy to see that either it be just a, an average golfer or a tour player is in your mind. You can, you know, you've gone through this process. You can check the boxes. Like I know this putter is fit to match my swing and to help me putt better. 
Um, so the fitting is, we are a fitting company and we know that how important that is. And that's something that we really want to not only take from our, our players and working with players in the lab, but get that to the consumer so they can have that same experience and make sure we get them in a putter that's going to fit their stroke and help them putt better. So one of the things I also want you to, to talk about here is, you know, the in, golf in general right now is exploding. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more golfers than ever before. And we're also dealing with, with inventory issues. So somebody probably wondering if I'm going to pay 1500 bucks for a putter, how quickly am I going to get it? I know you all have an edge over a lot of other yes. OEMs out there when it comes to how you're able to get your clubs out. Yeah. So one of the big advantages we have, I feel is that we, the putters we do in our custom line are milled here in the plant. So we can walk across the street and we can look at the, the putters being milled there. So that's a really good advantage for us. And typically if a guy comes in and gets fit, our goal is that he has that putter within four weeks. Four weeks. I mean, especially nowadays when yeah. you think about like the wait time that, that yeah. a lot of, a lot of their OEMs are quoting, I mean, three, four months yeah. is, is not, is not out of the equation. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Our goal is we're really going to try hard to get that out in four weeks. Yeah. Awesome. Tony, this was great. Thank you. For I appreciate it. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 131 of Fully Equipped. Thanks again, Tony, for the time. As always, if you want the gear goodness, check us out on social media. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next week.